Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 293rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that prefers a good beer to the beers, if we're talking about trading cards. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable, if not perhaps mildly caustic information with everyone. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com. Acerbic, not caustic, acerbic. The leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Oh, I figure this week we will talk about four different segments. Segment one will be our top MTGO metagame we can review. And I stress the MTGO part of that because we just had the World Championships, but that was standard. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to talk about it because it doesn't really matter for us at the moment. Uh, Other than being amused at the very tone deaf tweet that the official Wizards tweet sent on uh, Monday. Uh, we've got two modern challenges to dive into, and there's a theme here that we'll touch on. Segment two, our top paper movers, the cards that have moved in price the most over the last week. A lot of Innistrad excitement, uh, as well as our top MTGO movers. The top segment three are cards to watch. Some cards James and I'll run through that we think are uh, decent looking on the horizon, and maybe we'll dip into some user picks, but not in the way people might be hoping. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, uh, Flesh and Blood released a exclusive promo to uh, an individual. Rudy, Rudy of Alpha Investments. Rudy, yeah. I'm just like Voldemort. I don't want to say his (laughs) name. Um, So we'll talk about that little event and what that might what might be in there. But let's start up here at the top. The Modern Challenge from October 9th. But the greater topic here that I want to touch on. is that we have second and fourth are hammer time, third and fifth are burn. Each one of those is a Loris deck. So that's one half of this top eight is Loris. Then I look over here on the challenge from the 11th, and again, there's four Loris decks. But this time, it's, I'm sorry, yeah, four Loris decks. It's Mill, another hammer time that splashes black, and two Jund decks. So you have hammer time, burn, Mill, and Jund all running Luris in modern right now. And uh, I saw that, and to give, to give some additional flavor to this, I saw that Yorion Control won the challenge from the ninth. And I, I know we have talked about Yorion, but I always go back. I know I hadn't bought any, so I wanted to go back and check out the inventory, the prices and what have you, and kind of see where I felt at the moment. And there's still the extended art foils are sitting at like $22, $23. The supply is kind of high, but that price is, is fairly tempting. So I'm like, hmm. That feels pretty decent. Let me go see what the creature density is. So I bounced over to Goldfish and checked out like the the format staples. And according to Goldfish, the number one creature in the format is Luris. 
at 25% of decks playing a copy. Meanwhile, Yorion is all the way down at 5%. So Lurus is five times as popular as Yorion is, and he's sitting at like 70 bucks or so for the extended art foils. So, I mean, by that math, you should not buy Yorion's at 23 because it's the ratio isn't what you want there. But the, the more bigger part here is it really feels like Loris is dancing with a ban. I think that, compa or companions as an entire mechanic might just get bounced even harder because companions just don't seem like the type of card Wizards really wants to be that good. And the fact that they already nerfed them once and they're still that good, uh, they may, either they're gonna get rid of Loris or just gonna throw the whole damn thing out because they've decided that it's an experiment that has gone poorly. There's a lot of chatter around this topic, and nobody really knows what's going to happen. But here's my take. It's a weird situation, because there's no debating that Luris, and to a lesser extent Yorion, and Gigantha's in the mix there too. Um, and basically that just means companions in general are too powerful. For them to be so present in modern, where most modern decks want to be running a companion, means that just the premise of them is probably wrong for that format. And the counterpoint to all that is that this is a very diverse format. Now, you can already make the argument that it's actually just a Luris, it's just a companion format, and you can play various flavors of companion. But I think that's an oversimplification because a lot of these Luris decks play very differently. Luris is there because it provides a long game. You, When you run out of cards, you call up the Luris, you play the Luris, and then you start casting permanents out of your yard. And because it's a format that's very low slung, Luris can do a lot of work there. But that doesn't mean that every Luris deck plays exactly the same way. I mean, Burn and Blue Black Mill are extremely different decks. So it's hard to argue that if you have Jund, Mill, Hammer Time, and Burn in the format, and they all make use of a single copy of Luris in the board, that that makes the format narrow. I would argue, I would still argue, based on you know our constant week-to-week oversight uh, of the format for several months that this is a very healthy looking format yes there is a repetitive play pattern issue related to these companions but i'm not sure it really matters if the rest of your format allows people to play this many different types of decks if the inter interplay in terms of what happens when people play those companions is still very skill testing and not deterministic which i believe that it is i don't think that just because you get a Luris into play that the game is over like that you swing to an 80 20 to win because Luris can be dealt with by pretty much every kill spell in the format and once they kill the Luris, it's not like the Luris goes back to the companion zone and you can keep casting it. It's not like a, it's not like the commander rule. It comes out of your sideboard once, and after that, it goes to the graveyard. The, you're right, but the problem isn't that it, it just keeps coming back, right? Like that it's a commander. The problem is that because the companions in place restrictions on deck building, you're now getting to a point where every deck is falling under the same restrictions. Well, except 
which is starting to get really boring. Well, except it's not because you can make the argument that if you're not running, if you're not running Luris, then you're not competitive in the format. But we know that's not true. Like Yorion Control has done very well. We've seen Elementals doing very well. We've seen Shardless Agent. We've seen Living End. We've seen a ton of decks that are not leaning. Blue Red Murktide is another one. These are very competitive decks that consistently top eight that have held the number one, two, three slot multiple weeks in a row um, and don't require companions to compete. So it's very, it very much seems to me like uh, the companions do provide an edge, but the edge is not significant enough that people get pushed into playing them. Uh, it's... It's, I mean, if they were that good, then there wouldn't be a question about it. The point is more that I think you have a quarter of the decks in Modern operating under, just on the flat, the face value, every permanent card has to cost two or less, and your deck has to make white or black mana. Like, right off the bat, like every permanent card in your deck has to cost two or less. That's a pretty steep cost. And then you also have to make white or black mana, which is something. But that's just like the surface level, because then you have to take, well, what does it mean to have every permanent card in your deck cost two or less? Like that's that's not just a hoop to jump through. That's going to determine the types of archetypes you're generally going to run. You're by default going to be a, a, probably at a, very, a much more aggressive um, strategy. It's not going to allow for anything like that. So it just it doesn't feel like it's doing quite what wizards would want to be happening in the format and i agree that the it has looked really good right we've said week after week that modern looks like a, a fun format with a lot of different decks going on i think that's true but you know when you talk about the reason cards get banned some of them are banned because they're clearly too powerful and some of them are banned because they're just kind of bad for the format like eggs was a bad uh, and what was that faithful face reward or whatever it was or Second Sunrise. Second Sunrise didn't get banned because it was overpowered. It got banned because it just wasn't great for the format. And Lurus seems like it would fall more in that category. I don't think it's that clear cut, but it is something that, you know, it's hanging out there. And Wizards being as clear, has been a lot more willing to ban stuff, you know, in the last two or three years than they were in years prior. Um, so I guess it's just it just kind of tickles in the back of my head like, hmm. Hmm, what are they thinking about? You know? Oh, and I think that's correct. Like, I think for sure everybody needs to be considering what, you know, the variety of these cards being so popular means. But the thing is, there are a lot of other cards in a similar boat in this format. Ragavan is way up there. It's the number two played creature. Lurus is only is 25% of decks, but only one of. Ragavan is 20% of decks time times 3.8 copies on average, which means the vast majority of the time you're running four. So it's a much more dominant card overall in terms of number of times it's in play and sees play. Um, because for Luris to, to hit the board, the game needs to go long enough for you to have a turn to take off to waste three mana to put it in your hand, which is not going to be every game in a mod in a format that can often be d determined, whose outcome is often determined by turn three or four or five. Um, and there's other cards like Lightning Bolt, Prismatic Ending, Engineered Explosives, and Chalice of the Void that are much more format-defining at present in terms of being the answers that are necessary against the threats. And is it a, is it that big a deal that, a like, say, roughly half the decks in the format have a Lurus in the board if Prismatic Ending is in 35% of all decks? Uh, 
three and a half copies of deck and lightning bolt is in very similar situation engineered explosives and chalice aren't far off those i don't know i mean to me this looks like a healthy format um just looking over the last five weeks, you know, we've got Red Eldrazi in the top eight. We've got lots of blue-white control. We've got, uh, and and those are not necessarily Yorion decks. Shardless Footfalls, Yawgmoth Combo, can't run uh, Lurus because it has three and four drops. Blue-red Murktide, very constant competitor. Ad nauseum. Uh, we've even had things like Velomachus Lorehold turns. Uh, we've seen Bring to Light Scapeshift builds. In the last five weeks, we've seen blue-white and blue-black mill, and of course, they, they do run Lurus, um, but it's an extremely different play pattern. And the Elementals builds, I mean, there's a lot going on here. It's, it's, we've even seen Jun Domain um, variants. This, this is as good as this format gets, and there, people need to remember that there were, you know, like, if you think about Eldrazi Winter, where you're basically running Eldrazi or Tron or you're dead. I I I th- I think this might be a good in spite of Luris, not good because of Luris. That's kind of where I I'm sitting. I think. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, I certainly agree that it's something people need to consider. Um, I'm not in any rush to unload the last of my fancy Luris copies, but there is definitely a chance of getting caught out um, if people are sitting on too many of those, and. The returns on those have already been excellent, so you really have no excuse to get get caught holding here. Looking at the challenge on October 9th, it was actually led off by Blue-White Yorion Control. And this one is running a variety of cards that you don't see in modern top 8s very often anymore. First, most, uh, first amongst those, 4 Restoration Angel. 4 Solitude, which is a card we'll talk about a couple of times today. 3 Vendillion Click. Very interesting to see Click being played when a lot of the time when you see a three-mana blue flyer these days, it's Brazen Borrower. And then four Omen of the Sea, which is the Theros enchantment that lets you scry two and draw a card when it comes into play. And then if you sack it for two and a blue, you do the same thing again. And all of this is relevant because they are cards that have enters the battlefield abilities that Yorion can abuse. Yeah, this guy, yeah, I say clearly is on the enter the battlefield trigger game, uh, and that's why we're seeing the the Vendillion clicks and the Wall of Omens coming back. Like he's he's in that space. Um, although Wall of Omens being really good against Ragavan is also a data point there to consider too, I suppose. Well, and like two weeks ago, the first place deck on the twenty sixth was four color Yorion with four Fury for. Uh, Ice Van Quaddle, four Omnath, four Solitude, and four Titania, Protector of Argoth, of all things. And we see hmm. we see that deck pop up again in seventh uh, in this top eight, uh, with a you know slight change to the formulation. And then of course you said, as you said earlier, Hammer Time in second and fourth here, both using Lurus, Burn in third and fifth, both using Lurus. Amulet Titan in six with three Karn, the Great Creator, and then Blue Red Murktide making its sole appearance of the week in the challenges in eighth place. So, you know, that the argument about whether the blue-red decks were too good, format seems to be handling them just fine. Uh, moving yeah. on over to the 11th, uh, so, sorry, I guess that's probably October 10th, because Wizards said it was the 11th, and they're always a day off. Yawgmoth Combo taking that one down, that's another non-Lurus deck. So Lurus didn't win either of these challenges. 
Uh, Blue-white control, kind of straight control in second. Blue-black mill, running Luris in third. And then what I'm calling dark hammer time, uh, which is a just a hammer time variant that ran four dark confidant. And I saw the person that uh, placed fourth with this deck uh, proclaiming on Twitter that that confidant was, quote-unquote, the truth in this deck. Hmm. Um, they, they do have a lot of uh, low casting costs, uh, permanence in this deck so i could see how confidant could draw a lot of cards it is interesting that confidant has fallen off pretty harsh uh in modern for a while now but that card didn't like just stop being good <laughs> it's still a uh, a useful magic card that does things. Well, it's interesting that you don't see it in jund in the latest list because their creature package is currently dragon's rage channeler ragavan and tarmogoyf two of those three are mh2 cards um, and have displaced uh, Confidant for some time. The, but it's interesting that this is just a whole different shell that suddenly wants Confidant, and I'm curious to see whether it will hold that position. That could certainly help move some copies that people might have stuck in inventory. Um, another straight blue-white control in fifth here, and then Jund in sixth and eighth, both running Lurus and for Urza Saga. Of course, Jund these days is using the Sagas to go uh, pull utility artifacts uh, out of their deck when they need them. Stuff like, I think, Shadow Spears on that list, a, a variety of, I think, Mishra's Baubles, Nihil Spell Bombs, Pyrite Spell Bombs, and then whatever they might need to pull out of the uh sideboard later on uh to get things rolling so uh jund has some additional reach and utility uh ability to answer specific threats and and problem play patterns through the visa v saga and then living end showing up in seventh so again overall this format looks good to me certainly um certainly a lot of options here if you're if you're so inclined, you don't have to play Luris deck. Helps, but you don't have to. All right, moving on over to top paper movers of the week. We've got Solitude going from 35 to 40. That's only 15 percent, but I'm flagging it here because this thing is down to just 30 listings on TCG, TCG, and no major walls. That says to me that a combination of things are happening. Uh, it's seeing a lot of play in modern. The blue white decks, whether they are Yorion style ETBs or straight blue white decks tend to run three to four copies leaning towards four. That's a lot. So it's seeing a lot of play. It's also the uh, invocation elemental that sees the most play in EDH overall as a Sows to Plowshares variant. So the combination of that between players needing copies and I suspect speculators and vendors going in on them having already digested that information means we're down to a very low copy number of copies of this mythic on TCG. Uh, of course, we did have that 20% off sale recently. So that certainly chomped up a bunch of inventory, I'm sure. And it does show a very strong sales pattern vis-a-vis uh, -vis the data that's posted on TCG. Still very impressive given that most of the other uh, incarnations are sitting at um, somewhere between... 80, 90, 100 listings for their regular copies to see Solitude down at 30 or below. It, it, the supply is moving here, and I haven't picked up any myself yet, although I am very tempted and um, really should probably get around to it. Uh, 
that is a very low supply and we probably not going to see really a big inventory of these coming back in, right? I feel like we're pretty far past Modern Horizons 2. Not going to be a lot of vendors rushing to open that unless, you know. Well, it, if changes. things keep pushing like this, I would expect the gaming company to get their hands on whatever number of pallets they can, still can. And I think that at least if you're talking about set boxes as opposed to collector booster boxes, um, those are still floating around out there. I mean, in theory, that set is in in print for the rest of the year. It's not a limited edition set, so... The, we do expect a huge trailing off in the size of the offering as time goes on. Keep in mind, Wizard still needs to move all of the current product, and they don't like to interfere with that. Those you know, uh, first-time sales patterns by reintroducing a ton of inventory of older sets. But I think we'll still see one more set of walls get set up at minimum from the gaming company. Like I, there's no way they won't respond to. 10, 15 cards in the set doing as well as they're currently doing. I just sold multiple Ragavans near 70 um, overnight that I picked up at 41 on opening weekend. Really solid returns for a Mythic that's three or four months old. Well, I mean, obviously there is some some appeal there for them uh, to go that route if the value of Modern Horizons 2 gets that high and Modern Horizons 2 has been very good. So it is entirely possible that they may eventually find it worth it to go that route. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because you kind of wonder if they just kind of get to the point where they're like, ah, the new stuff sells in so much higher volume that it's not, you know, we, we don't want to, we have our, our process down here in the office where, you know, we get in this huge amount of product for the set. We spend every, we have our station set up to deal with cracking it and sorting it and putting it out in the inventory and then to double back and add a different set later on of like, you know, that's five or 10% of the current standard set that we're dealing with um, might not be worth the disruption to whatever they have set up. I don't know, right? Like this is just kind of like me wondering as, you know, for us, it seems like a huge amount of money. If you're a gaming company size and dealing with that much like volume, you know, is it, depending on how much they can get, is it worth going back for an old set like that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I think, but, but, but we're both on the same page, right? That like overall there's, if any more product gets open, it won't be that much. We've, we've seen probably, I mean, 95% of Modern Horizons 2 has been cracked by now? I, I don't know if it's that high. It's certainly between 80 and 95. It's a high number. The The other thing worth pointing out is that the Solitude borderless foils are down to 11 listings on TCG, starting at $80. Um, so now that's, that's a hot tamale right there. So the question is, is anybody going to pay... You know, here's a problem. It's a lot easier to sell a $500 Masterpiece Soul Ring than it is an $800 playset of foil borderless solitudes. Because yeah, the, because I, the total probably because correct. the total <laughs> commitment is higher and the player has to is not going to mix and match. <laughs> no no self-respecting modern player shows up with two foil borderless solitudes and two regular copies in their deck. Uh, I was absolutely showing up with uh, two F and M lightning bolts and like two NPR lightning bolts in Were my you, deck. Was that to purpose, purposely mess with your opponents? 
No, it's because I only had two F and M lightning bolts, and then they were three hundred dollars. Okay, then I had gotten the first ones when they were fifty. <laughs> well, there goes there goes my theory. The the, the bottom yeah. line is eleven listings. I, I don't know how how high these can go, um, but I'd be comfortable selling anywhere near a hundred dollars. I mean, if you were cracking MH two CBs, you're going to have some of this stuff sitting around. You're going to have borderless ragavans maybe you have a foil borderless ragavan maybe you have a foil old border scalding turn maybe you have some endurance borderless foils and some solitudes and some murktide regions there's so much value in this set i almost made mh2 cbs at whatever the current tcg price is today my pick today because i was like honestly like has there ever been a better set is there ever gonna is there gonna be a more in-demand cb like how are like go ahead bag ban ragavan tomorrow there's still so much value in this set it, it wouldn't matter like there's no one thing that could happen to the cards from this set that would change much in in the way of where that sealed product is headed i will not be at all surprised if mh2 cbs are 600 dollars in a year I mean, that's certainly possible. The set is just so juicy. Uh, I mean, you run the risk of reprints um, just based on how pop- like they're going to have to go back and reprint all these. But I mean, really, that's not that's not actually that big of a risk because they, it's not like they can turn around and reprint the entire damn set. Well, they can't set. reprint any of it while it's still in print. Like, they, they don't do that. Right. <laughs> it's not quite that crazy. They haven't. They haven't they, done that. That's the correct way yeah, to say they're, that. They're not going to do that. They can just print more of the, the product that's already at the presses <laughs> if they feel like yeah. they need to. But the, you know, you've got all the all the enemy fetches. You've got Ragavan. You've got all five of the elemental incarnations where at least four of them matter. You've got Cabal Coffers. You've got, and then you've got all this, t- like, Urza's Saga. You've got Murktide Regent. you got Yavimaya Cradle of Growth. you got Esper Sentinel, which is up to 23,000 decks on EDH rec already. A lot of decks. That's a lot in four months. Like that card, like there's almost no amount of that card you could be holding that would be problematic. And you got all the the side stuff, like Imperial Recruiter, totally under the radar because there's so much other good stuff. You got Dothy Voidwalker, that's doing very well in EDH and sees occasional play in Modern. Archon of Cruelty is a linchpin of the blue black reanimator deck. Sword of Hearth and Home is instant staple. Ignoble Hierarch. Chatterfang, blah blah blah. Like I was looking at Grist foils earlier today because it's seeing enough play across both of the major formats that they're gonna they're certainly gonna become relevant. Anyway, Solitude. Keep an eye on it. Just pull pull them out. I've got some Japanese and German foil Solitudes that I cracked out of CBs that I can't. I'm looking forward to selling for a nice premium. Uh, yeah, that will work. Lord for of you. the Undead had a ninth edition going from 20 to 30 on Zombie Hype. Very similarly, Wand of Orcus. This is the uh, extended art version uh, that came out of the AFR CBs only and was otherwise only seen in the commander decks. Uh, going from 5 to 750 that's a, been a slow, steady climb up from like 2 or $3 as the zombie hype has been building. You've got Lazotep Plating out of War of the Spark. That's a foil uncommon, I believe, going from 5 to $8. 7,200 EDH rec decks plus some zombie synergy. It's just a good card in EDH. Um, I had to look that up. Yeah, it. solid card. <laughs> Uh, the Scarab God out of Double Masters foils going from fifty to a hundred dollars, also on the back of Zombie Hype. Um, Lord help us if we get an actual another good Zombie Commander 
out of Crimson Vow. Um, I mean, we have to, right? Like, what are the odds? There's another reason to flag this, and it's a lesson, a, a subtle lesson about premium products where not everything gets the premium treatment. In Double Masters, vis-a-vis the the uh, VIP hundred dollar VIP packs, you have the foil borderless versions of a whole bunch of good cards. But then you had some cards that got a reprint in that set, but did not get a fancy version. And Scarab God was one of those, and that's one of the reasons that it's e- it's so easily taking off here, because there's no competition from a fancy borderless version or extended art. The only other awesome version of Scarab God is the Masterpiece Invocation, and obviously feelings are mixed on those, but they're also basically sold out, and they're a couple hundred bucks minimum. So... Not super surprised to see this Mythic that got a reprint but didn't get additional versions at the same time being in position to take off. And I think that when we get to Double Masters 2 next summer, we should be looking for similar plays. Like, what's the best Mythic that they didn't give a premium treatment to? That is certainly worth considering. um, That not everything gets that treatment that you are hoping to see, that you need to see. And we had a couple cards notably in the past that kind of sidestepped it uh the avengers zendikar getting that showcase promo is is instead of like the extended art foil and then the showcase promo was really available or like had a high supply kind of um was a little wonky and there was a couple other cards too so that's yeah i mean if scarab god if we don't end up with any better version of it then that certainly changes what card copies people care about. And I, I do kind of wonder in those types of situations if players are just inclined to not bother to get a good copy. Like, okay, there's the only the invocation and pack foils. And pack foils are boring and invocations I don't like. So rather than pick between those, I'm just going to get a normal, moderately played copy for dirt cheap and wait till a cool one shows up because I, you know. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to spend money on a card I don't like that much. I think there's a wide mix of positions on that topic. Like the one you just described is a, is a real case study probably for some percentage of people. For some other percentage of people, it's more like they haven't made a fancy copy of this lately that I'm willing to, or the copy, you know, the invocation is too expensive, but I would spend up to $100. So I like the art on the original and I'll go ahead and grab that because that's the best option that's currently on the table in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if it's cheap enough, sure. It's just that when, but the invocation's on a hundred bucks, right? Isn't the invocation like, Oh, it's a lot. It's a few hundred, $250. Yeah. yeah $300. Yeah. So like, that's not, that's not a, it's not a gentle decision. <laughs> well, and there's, just, and they're hard to find too. Like you could, you're, you're very likely to walk into your LGS and not find an invocation scarab gun. Whereas they might, they might oh, yeah. very well yeah. a year later have a pack foil Scarab God sitting in the case and you're sitting there talking to them about, hey, what fancy stuff could I get for my new blue-black zombies deck? And they're like, well, that over there is pretty cool. Um, yeah, pr- presumably if you are getting a Scarab God, you are getting it on uh, online. All right. An invocation. Moving anyway. along, Cliffhaven Vampire. That's the one that uh, drains for one... Um, out of uh, Oath of the Gatewatch, foils from 2 to $4 on the back of Vampire Hype. Uh, Lightning Greaves, Secret Layer version. This was out of the dog-themed Secret Layer from August of 2020, so just over a year ago. Of course, Lightning Greaves is an EDH mega staple, 
And here we see that combination of great card, high popularity card, with uh, aging secret layer turning into money. It's a, that card went from $20 to $40. And, you know, <laughs> keep your eye on secret layers, folks. They are not to be ignored automatically, that's for sure. I will say that my alternate intro for this week, that the one that we rejected was that it's October and we love PSLs, which is paying for secret layers. <laughs> little bonus intro. <laughs> well, I'm looking over, I'm looking at the, yeah, so it's weird. The, the non-foil version is at 40. If you look at the foil version, because it was available in both, you can still get copies at 27 or so, but there's only five listings left. Because one of the listings is 24 copies. Somebody went real deep. That's Land, land in Front, one of the bigger vendors uh, on TCG. And they have 24 copies at 26 bucks. How much you want to bet those are a buy? Uh, I mean, at these prices, they might be. Like, it's so hard for me to look at this and go, yeah, you should definitely buy dog-themed lightning greaves. But, God, people are paying the money it, for the it. The intersection so, like, of Midwestern EDH player that owns a dog... It's probably a pretty decent Venn diagram. I mean, I own dogs too, but like, whatever. As they say, there is no accounting for taste. <laughs> I, I, we've seen this again and again with Secret Layers, that Cute and Cuddly has done just fine. Yeah, I mean, they. I, I, I do have to wonder if it's... Um, they, they do do just fine. I, I wonder if it's just because they sell at like 15% of the really popular ones type of thing, you know, uh, still, even if they, without that, e data, even if that's true, they're still underselling their eventual market. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is true. Right. Regardless of how you get to yeah. there, that is what appears to be happening. Strom Kirk captain out of dark Ascension, six to $12 for the foils vampire hype as well. Child of Alara. That one is near and dear to my heart. Uh, foils from Conflux going from $20 to $60 plus. Uh, Saffron from Goldfish made a little video clip talking about how this is a Golos replacement for the the decks that want to work Guild Gates. And that was probably enough to put it over the top, even though it was already draining. Um, I sold one, an FTV foil copy for $10, which is well below what you can get in the market at this point and uh my re remaining one or two copies in inventory certainly be testing somewhere up the curve mm. okay it's only okay. ever been printed in from the vault annihilation and conflux that is yeah not a lot of options um does seem like a card they probably would have printed another copy of at some point in time here i think because it's it has very odd art uh strange ghost baby it, in the midst of great magical turmoil. Uh, and it references a plane quite specifically. The yeah. down to six listings on the FTV foils, lowest price 25. So I guess I'll be trying to work that ramp. The FTV is, ugh, it's gross. Just the, qual the foil of those cards is so bad. People just don't care. I sell FTV copies all the time. Uh, yeah, no, I believe you. Just... Mull Drifter foils at a lore win, 15 to 60 on the back of dual play in modern visa uh, 
via the reanimator strategies and the elementals decks. Slitherblade out of Amoncat is a foil common that has supposedly gone from two or three dollars to eighteen dollars this week. All I got on that is that Yuriko is a very popular commander, and this is an auto include in that deck in EDH. Um, I didn't see it show up in any relevant uh, constructed play. It's possible there was a streamer that was fooling around with something that I missed. If you guys know what that was all about, holler at us. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to blame it on Yuriko and people looking for things to target heading into ninjas and rogues, possibly making a reappearance in Kamigawa Neon Destiny. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's kind of the page I'm on this week. But, uh, I mean, that seems like a pretty reasonable um, reading of it because Slitherblade is... Let me just double-check Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Dynasty, that's right. Well, yeah, but uh, um, it was... Slitherblade technically has three printings, but the the one is the only pack foil. So, one relevant creature type. But creatures that can't be blocked are sort of like slightly above rate in terms of popularity in edh to begin with um and then this is ends up being useful yeah the, the rogue aspect of it i guess i know I'm not, i don't feel like i'm adding a lot of inf- interesting information in this conversation like, here. Like, i i i believe it I, I believe that yuriko is is what what did it sage of ancient lore is our biggest mover of the week as a flip werewolf uh going from one to ten dollars for the foils doesn't strike me as being a card that is super important in the werewolf deck, but it's pretty solid. Once it flips over, it has power and toughness are each equal to the total number of cards in all players' hands, so that's kind of EDH-friendly, uh, and that could make it you know, very easily a 10-10 Vigilance Trample or a 15-15 Vigilance Trample. Um, if somebody wheels, then of course things get real nasty. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a beefy boy, but I this is kind of like mostly the only thing that it did, which makes it questionable as a include in your deck. But I guess werewolf decks are probably a little starved for playables anyway. Well, so I mean, go ahead and sell these while the selling is good, because who knows if Torvald's going to be top five by this time next year? Oh yeah, that just goes across the board for all the vampires, uh, werewolves, but also werewolves, probably, probably also spirit zombies and vam and vampires <laughs> yeah all right moving on to the top magic online movers of the week actually i want to sidestep for a second you said earlier we, standard doesn't matter but we've actually been talking about in the discord lately that it it suddenly do, kind of does like a bunch of standard cards have been moving and doing well i've sold a bunch of gold span dragons lately and a bunch and several of the other uh very standard specific cards that came out of cal time uh Essica's chariot um faceless haven Standard seems to be back on the menu, and I, I think it's we're just about at the point where we need to start paying attention uh, about it. And if you look at what's happening on Magic Online, very clearly Standard has been driving the train for a while, for a few weeks here. You got Fury out of MH2 on Magic Online going from about 16 ticks to 24 ticks, like 48% gains. That's obviously on the back of Modern Play since you can't play Fu- uh, Fury in uh, Standard. But then the rest of this is all very standard-driven. Memory Deluge out of Innistrad Midnight Hunt going from 6.53 ticks to 10.74. That's a rare out of a set that's currently being drafted up over 10 ticks. That's fairly impressive. 65% gains. Of course, it does see some uh, mixture of play in both standard and modern. And then Intrepid Adversary is basically a linchpin four of in the White Weenie deck that was at Worlds. Um, 
nine tickets to almost 17 tickets, 80% gains. That is not a card I would have assumed was going to make people money on Magic Online. Uh, <laughs> Alrun's Epiphany out of Cal Time going from 11.5 tickets to 21.5. That's like 85% gains. And that was from up from way below. Like Alrun's Epiphany started down in like two or three or four ticks before this all kicked off uh, as the standard season rotated. Um, so people that were in at like three are up 800% or something crazy. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm going to uh, comment here that, I, I mean, I was being a little glib when I said that standard doesn't matter. I, I mean, I had picked Alrun's Epiphany in paper a couple yeah, weeks ago, yeah, actually. Yeah, um, so like, I yeah, obviously there can be some, some motion there on these types of cards. Uh, just, you know, less, considerably less so than... EDH and standard for, for the EDH moment, and for modern. The moment. EDH and modern, yeah, sorry. Uh, Cave of the Frost Dragon out of AFR from 1.3 ticks to almost 3 ticks, 125% gains there, uh, again, on the back standard play. So I, I've started keeping a list, like keeping track of standard cards that look like they could be set to matter. And I think trying to think about what paying attention to the meta for the top eight at worlds is not crazy like if we look at you know the decks that did well there there was an is it control list uh basically is it dragons that won the whole thing yuta takahashi taking down worlds this weekend he was running goldspan dragons and smoldering egg and they did a cool promotion where on arena you could basically pick one of the uh i think top 16 decks and just jam matches against people and it was a little odd because it was best of one instead of best of three so you weren't really getting a sense of how the sideboards changed uh the dynamic but i certainly got a much better um idea of how like the flow of the format how the various decks interact and and what you can expect um goldspan dragon is a big deal river glide pathways all over the place smoldering egg seems like it's got some room to to grow and then over in the gruel aggro decks you got more gold span dragon which explains why that's been selling so well they're running four shatter skulls smashing in the main they're running through moonvale regent in the main eska's chariot that i mentioned and then ranger class uh was you know we put that up in the discord along with a bunch of other stuff that we flagged as things people could drag out of inventory and sell as set as play sets based on standard demand like the rule i usually apply for my own action is that i don't really sell anything under ten dollars like i don't post anything for sale that's under 10 bucks but if i can sell a play set at 20 or 30 bucks then i'm you know i'm totally in and right now just from sets this year you've got pathways from zenikar rising last year you can sell at 20 bucks a set you got skyclave apparitions in a similar boat magda brazen outlaw at a cal time you can sell at 10 bucks a set faceless havens that are at 20 a set eska's chariots about 25 uh, at a Strixhaven, you got expressive iteration 20 a set prismari commanded about 25 uh out of afr hall of the storm giants or den of the bugbear and i guess probably the uh, cave of the ice dragon are all at about 16 a set Werewolf pack leaders are at 36 a set. Uh, those intrepid adversaries in paper are at 28 a set. Fateful Absence, Malevolent Hermit, and Memory Deluge out of Innistrad Midnight Hunt all in the 15 to $20 a set as well. So, and and, and moving hmm. briskly on TCG. It's a lot of, it's a lot of movement for sure. For sure. I, I, uh, I don't like to go too low on my sales either, which is why sometimes you have like these 
quarter picks that are so appealing because you're like, oh, this only has to go to $1.50 and I made five times my money. And then you're like, yeah, but think of how much time you're going to have to spend dealing with that. And it's too much. Well, with that kind of stuff, you have two, two standard exits. Either you are a direct seller on TCG where you can get benefit out of that, or you are dealing with buy lists where you're just going to send all 100 copies to the same place at the same time. Uh, yeah. Not not worry about it too much. So that was the uh, the Magic Online stuff, and uh, I think it is worth keeping an eye on Standard. And moving on over to cards to watch. Um, we talked about the Scarab God foils drying up. There's a single copy listed on TCG Player currently at $100. Um, but you can still get copies over in Europe under 50 in the like 44 to $50 US range all in. So I'm going to call this as an arbitrage play. Go ahead and order some on Card Market. It's a super popular card in general for EDH. Um, and with zombies being a major theme this fall, it's only being reinforced further. So I wouldn't go like ultra deep here, and you can't anyway. Like there isn't the inventory isn't all that deep over overseas, but you could easily pick up a a place out of these and look to flip them, say from fifty to eighty in the next three months, and I think you'll do very well. Yeah, uh, I mean if you've got that that opening available to you, <clears throat> you know you're already. I mean. You're already set up to make money if you do nothing but purchase the card. You don't have to get lucky. You don't have to read the market. You're just you're fine with the arbitrage right there on the table for you, and you have a chance to gain some extra ground. With uh, by the time you get the card over here, you're going to be seeing the zombies start showing up for Crimson Vow anyway. So really, not a no real way to fail. And even here. the non foils are going for solid money right now. So if you opened. Uh, double masters vips etc or um double masters boxes you might have scarab gods tucked away somewhere because they weren't they weren't going for very much at all last fall um so make sure you pull those out and get them up for sale and so this is just the pack foil scarab god from double masters yep. hmm. okay uh I have the wrong card written down for my first one here. This is supposed to be this card. So <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I was going to say, Rottoclaw Rotto Mystic was the teamer pick like five years ago that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I sure had a bunch of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to do a double take because I really thought we had talked about these, but apparently we didn't. Uh, Rattle Chains. The Spirit from Shadows of Innistrad. Both my picks this week are spirit-related, by the way. Uh, you know, I feel like the zombies and werewolves and vampires, we've talked about a lot. There's been a lot of ground tread there. I'm looking a little past that, trying to get in. I mean, obviously, people have bought some spirit stuff already as soon as Kamigawa was confirmed. And we also haven't confirmed that spirits are in Kamigawa. I'm making a bit of a leap here that those are likely going to be in the set in some capacity, even if it's not hardcore in the main product line they may throw in a commander or two in the ancillary product um which is all you all we're really fishing for here is just a decent spirit commander so all of the both of these picks hinge on that occurring um but if it does occur i think rattle chains looks really tasty right now the shadows over innistrad pack foils are four dollars and fifty cents there's no other, there's no premium version of this card like this is it it's just the pack foils there's also the the pre-release foils but um you know it's all the same artwork there's so there's nothing else to go with and 450 is very cheap right like if you're putting together an edh doc you'll pay 450 for the foils here instead of two bucks for the non-foils or whatever it is 
you'll pay that little bit. It's not in a lot of decks. It's only in a thousand EDH decks right now. So it's not like there's a major um, demand, existing demand for this card that's going to shore up this pick otherwise. It's not there. Uh, if they don't get a decent spirit commander, then these probably aren't really going to move all that much unless spirits shows up in modern again. But it also means that demand could increase tenfold if there is a good spirit commander because there's no well of dem existing demand that is continued to apply pressure, any new demand will be a big addition. Uh, so it could push pretty hard. Um, and we see this, you know, every time most new commanders, interesting commanders we get, there's always like one or two cards that kind of come pop out of nowhere because no one wanted them and suddenly a bunch of people want them and the price goes crazy. So between on, on rattle chains, between the pack foils and the pre-release promos, there's a little over 30 vendors. Nobody has very much of a deep supply. So I don't think there's there's maybe 60 foil copies total on TCG player in that ballpark. Not a lot. If we get a good spirit commander, this will show up in every single one of those decks without fail. If we don't get one in Kamigawa, rip. It'll go into the long-term spec. Well, box. I, it's not just Kamigawa, it's Crimson Vow. Crimson Vow's EDH decks are probably vampires and spirits. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Innistrad has never, it feels like Spirits was always a tertiary tribe there, right? Like, I'm not saying you're wrong. I guess I'm just, I'm not trying to bank on that because it doesn't feel as reliable to me as Kamigawa does. It doesn't feel as likely. I, I think there's a pretty strong, there's a pretty strong Spirit presence in the current set and even in Midnight Hunt. And I suspect that there is at least that much, if not more, in Crimson Vow. And then I think that... The follow-on, the continuation of that into Neon Dynasty is very likely, because I think the whole the cutesy thing they're doing by bringing that up to Cyberpunk is they're going to work the Ghost in the Machine angle. It's going to be all these like things that are inhabited by spirits, which is already a continuation of the kind of classical uh, consideration of spirits where they, they inhabit locations or portions of nature or whatever in the East. So I, I can very easily see us getting a bunch of spirit support over the next six months. And, you know, the, the reason you don't have very much play for things like rattle chains in commander is that you don't really have a great spirit commander. You have some commanders that are spirits like Okagashi, Renar, the ever watchful, You've got Kaikar that makes spirits when you cast non-creature spells. You've got Geist of St. Traft, who is a spirit. But the one, the only ones that actually care about spirits are things like Hoffrey, Ghostforge, that says spirits you control get plus one, plus one, and have Trample in Haste. And Quintorius, Field Historian, both at a Strixhaven, where spirits you control get plus one, plus zero. So we actually had decent spirit support in Strixhaven. I suspect we have it just as a sub-theme for the whole year. And... Rattle Chains foils are at low enough at this point that any amount of spirit hype will probably dry them up to the $10 plus range. I don't want to be super deep on something like this, but I think, you know, if the vampire zombie werewolf thing has this fall has proven anything, the market will eat this stuff up if there's an appropriate commander available. Well, and that's, that's the angle I'm taking here is that uh, you are likely, you know, as long as we get something um you know we we don't have to have a lot to get the demand to move and you're right i guess i i hadn't quite thought through all the full spirit setup that's in standard right now so that does seem make it seem a little more likely we'll get additional demand in an estrada and then carry over on in kamigawa as they kind of um 
give us a good amount of sort of sub theme of spirit going there. So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's cheap enough and the supply is low enough that it's worth splashing. But I would agree, neither of my picks this week are a hundred copies. There was also a blue white spirit stack in modern, not so very long ago. Yeah, like twelve, yeah. 12 oh, yeah, yeah, ago, yeah. That could be reinvigorated if it got a couple of cool cards. Um, I mean, you you do have that outside angle, and uh, if we get like actually competitive uh, spirits in modern, they rattle chains is almost certainly going to be in that deck in modern. But that kind of depends on them showing up uh, in Kamigawa, and we don't know if they're going to get that support or not. But they would uh, they would likely play with Luris, so <laughs> you would have that going. Well, for LSV you. Hi- highlighted. Uh, Blue White Spirits, uh, October 12th, last year, exactly one year ago today. Uh, and hmm. that deck does run four copies of Rattle Chains, four Drog Skull Captain, four Mausoleum Wanderer, two Selfless Spirit, one Shacklegeist, three Skyclave Apparition, which was the hot new tech uh, coming out of Zeneca Rising at that point, four Spell Queller, four Supreme Phantom, and two Unsettled Mariner. I mean, it's a, it was a competitive deck for for a while. It doesn't. Say, yeah, I mean, spirits definitely was a thing for a while. It feels like it's been a while since it's been like meaningfully. Yeah, and it's good. not. It's not easy uh, to poke into this this top eight in modern right now. There's there's a lot yeah. of quality floating around. Uh, my uh, next choice here is the one of the lesser considered uh, options out of the Modern Horizons two products. Uh, I'm talking about Vindicate Foil Borderless, which is despite there being two Judge promos, arguably the best uh, Vindicate that's ever existed. Um, you can get these foil borderless vindicates at $8 currently. Uh, I would predict that they will be 20, somewhere between 12 and 16 months from now, 20 plus. Uh, it's in 15,000 decks on EDH rec, which is 9% of all black white decks. The inventory is not super deep on TCG player. I think we're looking at less than a hundred, uh, results already. Let me just pull up the screen where I had this. Uh... Borderless down to 94 listings near mint. And there's, co- there's a couple copies as low as six bucks. Um, and if you look at all the available Vindicates, I think it's pretty clear that this is a, a preferred one. I have these in foil in multiple languages and they're pretty, pretty like very, very nice in person. Um, there is the Masterpiece series uh, Invocation, which has relatively cool art, but it suffers from that common problem in that series where the art is too detailed and would be much better at scale um, than it is in a tiny picture window. It's very hard to see what's going on in that Vindicate, whereas the uh, the borderless version in MH2 is very much uh, designed for table play and a lovely card. Uh, yeah, the borderless foil here, um, no doubt, is the best looking of all the Vindicates. Uh, it's kind of pretty much unquestionable. Um, partially because as you said the invocation one is essentially illegible uh i this is the the best version of vindicate i think most people will buy uh, or i think most people are will be inclined to buy i don't question that at all my only the and the price is so cheap and the card is really popular these are all really good factors for the card i have like a slight hiccup because and i don't even know for sure it's just a it's just a, a passing thought here that I do wonder if this is going to be one of those cards that is uh, 
how do I explain this? Ends up with so many promos that none of them can hold a good price tag. Ah. Because we've seen that happen a couple times. And Vindicate, like, I remember laughing at how many promos Vindicate had, like, years ago. Because there is a, hold on, we have a. Two, two, two judges. two judge promos. Mm-hmm. The original pack foil, the invocation. <laughs> like, there's some other, yeah, like that, that. That's a lot it's, of it's had multiple a lot of multiple foil pack foils in Modern Horizons 2, Masters 25, Eternal Masters. They've printed it a bunch of times. But here's the thing. The invocation, we, we have a good sense of what a good version of this is worth because there are so many promos. If they were all low, um, which is a topic we're gonna we're going to revisit uh, with Bullis Citadel in a few minutes then that could be a signal. But in this case, the invocation's over 60 bucks. The two judge promos are at 36 and 44 respectively. And even the regular versions out of Apocalypse, non-foil, original printing, are $24. So you're going to have trouble convincing me that the borderless foils out of MH2 can't get up over $20. Well, with, with price tags like that, that sounds really good. Um, for no, no doubt whatsoever that that certainly is, uh, is makes me, uh, allays my fears because, um, those are, are very good price tags. And the nice thing about having the, the borderless copy is it is the best, really the best looking of all of them. I don't think there's a lot of argument about that. So you, you've got the best looking edition and you've kind of got some information there showing that, just because there's a bunch of promos, that doesn't mean this is not a good choice. So I'm feeling better about it. This is feeling also a this it. is also a set where you can order things online and be disappointed with what shows up. <laughs> if you order a foil <laughs> sketch card, more often than not, you're going to be like, "Is that even foiled?" Um, foil etched mm-hmm. has disappointed some people. I don't mind it as much as others, but I can I can see what they're looking at. This one, I guarantee you, I have one on my desk. This is a like this is a card you want in your EDH deck. It is a fantastic looking magic card in person because yeah, all that okay. light that's okay. shooting out from the middle of what's in between the angel's hands is very accurately represented in the foiling comes across, comes across well. well. That's cool. All right. Talk to that's me about cool. your next pick. Uh, yes. Yeah, second one, like I said, talking about spirits, scrolling through all sorts of odds and ends the, the, what color they're going to end up by the way the, or what color the commander is going to end up if we get one will certainly matter. I was kind of thinking maybe Bant. Um, that would be a little bit of a different direction they've gone in the past. But spirits, there's some really good green spirits. Although they have printed more spirits in red lately. But that was all bo- mostly part of the, what's his name, the Strixhaven setup. So, and we haven't really seen any decent any real black spirit commander. So I wasn't looking at black cards too much because I'm assuming that that's not the direction they'll go. Um, I think it'll either be just sky or Bant, but I guess that doesn't really matter because this card is white too. I was just telling you guys what was on my mind, but the other card that jumped out at me is spirit bonds, which uh, you probably don't nope. remember because this card it's like seven Didn't years old. Card existed. Uh, yeah. This is a enchantment back from M 15 
It's a two-mana enchantment. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you can pay white. If you do, make a 1-1 white spirit token with flying. So this basically says every time you play, cast a creature in your spirit deck, you can pay one and get another 1-1 spirit, which is very much what that deck is going to want to be doing. Um, it also has an additional ability that you can sack spirits to give a non-spirit indestructible. So like it will allow you to run a little bit of interference uh, here and there, but that's not really going to well, matter as much. It's just going to be well, the... It depends how they structure the commander, because if they give you a spirit commander that's not actually a spirit, then that's exactly what you want to be doing. The, if, if if they somehow printed a really good spirit commander who is also not a spirit, then yes, this card is amazing in that. I am not assuming that's what's well, going to happen. Let's just take a look uh, at their record. They like Hoffrey goes forge at a Strixhaven as a dwarf cleric. Quintorius Field Historian is an elephant cleric. Uh, Kaikar is a bird wizard. It's totally possible. Well, those are all... Uh, two of the three are from Strixhaven. Kaikar is a little different. Um, I, I mean, yes, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying I'm not really going to bank on that, right? Like, I'm not going to make that pitch. There will there will be out there will be angles where they sacrifice the spirit to make some indestructible component is useful on spirit bonds. I just don't think... That I'm not trying to put my eggs in that basket. It's just the the first half of that card. Just like pay white every time you make a creature, get an additional spirit. That right there is juice enough. And these foils are two fifty, like they're dirt cheap. Uh, also has like no volume on EDA track, so don't hope that there's additional demand there. And there's very few sales, so it's the same deal as rattle chains. Also has no modern play, so this really needs a com good commander to show up. Um, there's also only six vendors on TCG player with these, with copies of these, but I scrolled through the sales history and there is not a lot of movement on this. Uh, so if, if someone went hard on buying out these foils, they did it like four months ago, yeah. I, uh, which is yeah. possible. I don't love possible. this as a spec, but I definitely love it as a, if you are anxiously awaiting building a spirits deck in EDH, you'll probably include this and there's, yeah, and there's like, none I, of these lying around. So just go ahead and snap one off at two bucks and you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, like, I think having, like, two playsets probably won't hurt you too much. Because, I mean, I didn't look up the uh, the buy list. But I'm going to bet that it's not too far off just based on how low the numbers are on TCG Player. Uh, but you also could not buy 30 of these if you wanted to, really. So. Yeah, and no matter what you do with those, you're not going to end up in as bad a position as I am on this next card that I'm calling. Um, I made the unfortunate error of buying in on <laughs> Ignoble Hierarch foils at Old Border foils from MH2 at $45. Now, it was only mm. a test playset opening weekend, but they are currently available for $15. So I'm down 67% needlessly when I could have just waited four months and bought them later. Um, but they're already under 90 listings on TCG. It's a top 30 modern creature. Uh, it's mostly played in the green-black Yawgmoth deck, which won one of the challenges where it's played as a four of. Uh, we know Noble Hierarch has done a ton of work in the format over time. Ignoble Hierarch uh, doesn't seem to be setting up as as important of a card in the current meta, but there's still two or three lists that uh, have reason to run it. And it's also in 32% of all Jun decks on EDH Rec, which is has is tantamount to 5,500 decks reported so far, which means tens of thousands of people are in need of the card. The Old Water Foils are very lovely. They're certainly worth $15 in the long term. So I'm going to call this to go 15 to 30 in 12 plus months. Well, uh, my condolences on your timing. 
Um, that component aside, this is certainly a very potent card uh, that people were quite excited to see. And I think your excitement was was reasonable um, if uh, poorly timed because everyone thought this card was going to be way better than it has turned out to be so far. Uh, Early on, we were seeing it get yeah. tested in, in, in Jund as the thing that was going to bring Jund back, but it turns out they needed Ragavan, not Ignomal Hierarch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, yes, I think by I think th- I think this price is pretty is very tempting. Uh, Fifteen bucks for these old border foils doesn't seem like you're gonna get too much lower. Now, this the, uh, old border. I like the old borders personally. I think that you you we we can't expect them to be the best version all the time, but. I don't think that that count, counts against this at all. I think people will still want this version of the card pretty regularly. Did we? Was there an extender? No, there's no. It, no, there's a sketch, unfortunately. Just, but that's, just a but sketch. That's, okay. That so, I think reflects well on these because if you're choosing between pack foil, sketch foil, and old border foil, it's no question. Oh yeah, yeah, I would agree with you completely that without a extended art foil, the pack, the old border are the way to go. So yeah, I think these are great, and like noble hierarch has been a dominant creature in modern for a very long time and some it waxes and wanes but it can always it has always come back and i don't see that card ever not mattering in modern and i think ignoble hierarch is probably the same deal and we will get reprints of ignoble hierarch but this will probably be the only old border copy for a very long time so snagging these now sounds very tasty i don't think you're going to see this card printed for like three to five years and the it's primarily about EDH before more than it's about modern. But the fact that it's got modern support where it's played as a four of is definitely going to drain them faster. Current TCG sales pace on the old border foils is about one or two copies per day, which is fine, not amazing, but will still drain out over the course of a year, year and a half, given time. And, you know, if it doesn't hit 30, it'll probably hit 25 in the interim, um, you know, within 12 months. It's just going to slowly, steadily drain up until there's just nothing left. Yeah, I mean, you're going to put these in your, you know, in your spec box, and they're going to hang out there for a while, and you're going to kind of forget about it, and then suddenly they'll be worth a lot more than they were, and you'll be happy that you had them. So I think these are a solid choice. Side note, while I'm thinking of it, last week I said that the there was no major modern tournaments coming up, but that Channel Fireball event in Vegas... Uh, Vegas 2021 Channel Fireball is, let me just see, November 19th to the 21st, so about six weeks from now, and it's going to be Innistrad, Crimson Vow, Sealed, and Modern are the two main events, and both of those events are $25,000 tournaments. So there will be a sizable Modern tournament in paper in six weeks, and we'll see how that turns out. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, the other thing I wanted to flag during Cards to Watch was Endurance Borderless Foils are down to 45 from my original call price of 60 back on episode 284. So that was like eight weeks ago or so. Um, I called them 60 to go to 100. And assuming that you like where Solitude is headed, Endurance is not likely to be too far behind. Not only is it almost as, as played in um, Modern as, Endurance, as Solitude is, but it's in a very similar position to Solitude over on EDH Rec. So for the borderless foils to be at 45 is probably totally incorrect long-term. And I think snapping those up, if you like my call at 60, but you were holding off looking for a cheaper price, that time is now. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, these are Modern Horizons. Some of these Modern Horizons 2 stuff is is dropping a little bit. Uh, but that does not mean that they're bad choices. It just means you get a better choice, better chance to well, buy Well, they also in. seem to be on a rotation. Like, whatever the hot thing is at any given time. Because when we started out with MH2 testing, it was subtlety that was jumping out of the pack as the blue incarnation that was seeing the most play. And grief, people were talking about grief ephemerate combo, right? And mm-hmm. people were largely ignoring Solitude and Fury. And now we're in a completely different position where it's Solitude and Fury that are seeing the most play and Endurance in the middle and then Subtlety and Grief at the back of the pack. Oh, yeah. Everyone thought Grief looked ridiculous out of the gate. I mean, I, those of us with the cooler heads looked at it and said, well, Grief certainly does seem to have some ridiculous play patterns, but it does not mean they will materialize. They're a little particular. Uh but Fury was definitely people were looking at and going, ah, Flame, Flame Tongue Kabu is not going to cut it anymore. And and yeah, and yet, and, and yet. yet. So anyway, I, I suspect that the you know the the peaks of some of this stuff with MH two is going to be cyclical. You know, you can feel pretty good about yourself getting out on Solitudes uh, at current pricing or somewhere in the next eight weeks or so. Um, but Endurance has got room to grow at forty five for the Bordeaux foils. Hmm. All right, moving on over to the topic of the week. We're going to break a cardinal rule of Pro Trader. Generally, we ban discussion of this individual in the Pro Trader Discord. Not because we have any particular problem with Rudy as a person or any particular issue with Alpha Investments as an organization, but more to the point that we I just find that Rudy has for years leaned in the direction of entertainment over information and that taking an average one of his videos and fact checking it will often lead to the need to fact correct a lot of what is being said. So we try to steer people away from that particular stream of information, much in the same way as telling pro traders to not rely too much on MTG finance. Reddit is usually a good idea. I mean, I I, I will, I will, I will take a more full throated approach and say that I think the little bit of, Rudy's content I've watched is very bad, uh, very misleading, uh, and really seems like he's trying to take advantage of the people watching his videos. So I, I do not like him. I do not like what he does. I think he does, gives what we do a bad name, and people will hear his name and see what he does and form a poor opinion of him, rightfully so, and then extrapolate it amongst all of our ilk. The funny thing is, I I think most of what he does is pretty straightforward. He's a volume operator that buys a lot of sealed product and then flips it to his Patreon members at slightly below market rates and leverages a relatively narrow margin over a large volume. And that is so alike to most of what happens in, at, you know, with the larger organizations in the collectibles industry that I can't really hold too much of that. Like, I don't have much problem with any of that. The persona that he inhabits and the way that he carries himself, the tongue in cheek, um, you know, I'm in the know and I'm going to share some of the secrets with you. But a lot of the time, the information that's being shared is, as you said, incomplete or misleading or it's self-serving. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, pure comedy and some people might not, not know the difference. Um, that's really where I have called into question whether it's wise to point at him however he did he was involved in something this week that was unique enough 
uh, and on topic enough for us that it was it's worth exploring. Long story short, there's a game called Flesh and Blood, if you haven't been following around, following, following along over the last couple of years, that exploded in the midst of the COVID crisis, and largely because its um, first couple of sets were at a low enough print run that once it turned the corner and people started to take notice of it because YouTube sites like Rudy were starting to draw attention to it, um, they were scarce enough that they ran up into the thousands of dollars. And the rarest of the cards that were present in those boxes likewise ran up into the thousands of dollars. There was a lot of crypto money flowing through the hobby. And I think it's very fair to say that the majority of the interest up front as this was all heating up was coming from a speculation side as opposed to a player side. Now, as it turns out, the game is a solid game. You know, I, some people tell me it's a great game. Some people tell me it's an okay game. Personally, the few times I've messed around with it and and watched videos of people playing it, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I think it's an average game. I don't think it's amazing. Um, but I don't think it's terrible. And it's unlikely to get me to switch from Magic to Fab. But I have owned Fab product for the purposes of making money because we had, through the Pro Trader group buys, uh, early access to Crucible of Worlds first edition boxes last fall that made pro- some of the pro traders involved quite a lot of money because I think we had them at a hundred dollars a piece and they were sold at f- three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollars a piece um, within six months. So uh, polite applause all around, and you know we'll see where that goes in the long term. Whether the game can has staying power, I think, is the primary issue at this point. They are, they have hundreds of uh, LGSs across North America and the, and the world that are running events for them. They've had uh, some big tournaments. There's a really big one going down, I think, in December in Germany. Um, I think it's called The Calling or something like that. And their primary business model in the way that differentiates uh, itself from Magic, for instance, is that they release the same set twice. They release an initial edition called First Edition that has exclusive promos. Mostly it's about cold foil uh, equipment cards that are these uh, permanents that are on the board when you play uh, Fab that are there all the time. Uh, Well, until you burn them out, I guess. And then there are legendaries, which are like the rarest of of the cards in the set. And some of them are alt arts, etc., and they can run in from the hundreds to thousands of dollars. They also have promos that are available in the unlimited boxes that come later, but they tend to be worth a lot less money. Bottom line is, it's a solid game that ran real hot out of the gate on the speculator side. Now the player base is slowly, steadily seeming to, to catch up. And what happened was Rudy was out in front on this game. And some people would attribute that to him being very savvy. I attribute it to him having much kind of a shotgun approach to all this, where he's in on this and Pokemon and Magic and MetaZoo and whatever he can get his hands on that he thinks he can make money on. Some of it works out right away, some of it doesn't, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Still, the owner of Flesh and Blood, uh, Legendary Studios, uh, James, uh, appreciated his. Uh, involvement enough in promoting the game to grant him 1,500 copies of a unique promo. Now, the it's like Rudy Gem Keeper or something like that. 
These promos are not necessary for play. And in fact, they're not legal for competitive play. It is kind of strictly a promo in a fancy little box with a couple of art cards. Now, the the cute thing here is that Rudy decided, uh, along with Legendary Studios, presumably, that they were going to sell the $1,500 copies over the course of 24 hours. F- 1,500 copies, not 1500 Yeah, 1,500 copies. Uh, for $1,000 a piece over the course of 24 hours. And then whichever ones did not sell, minus some small amount he was putting aside that he was upfront about, he said he was keeping 10 or 15 copies or something for himself. Um, uh, the rest of the copies were to be burned. And so he's setting up this kind of prisoner's dilemma-esque scenario where, you know, how much risk are you willing to take on? And, and how much do you think you can outsmart the market here? Like, if everybody thinks it's a scam, then nobody buys copies of the card. Let's say only 200 copies sell in that circumstance. Now they are much, much rarer than they would have been otherwise. And the rest of the copies get burned. And then maybe over time, the market starts to look at these as, wow, that's like one of the rarest flesh and blood promos that ever existed. So that's going to be worth infinite monies. Now, we discussed this in the ProDator Discord on the weekend while it was just about to kick off. And my prediction was pretty close to what actually happened, which is that that kind of marketing uh, pitch is going to lead to selling out or coming very close to selling out because the kind of speculator that is in for that kind of action looks at that as like worst case. I know there's only 1500 copies best case, something less than that sells and I'm in an even better position. And a thousand dollars might seem like a lot to some 17 year old kid who makes six bucks an hour. But if you're relatively well-established middle-class and you spend thousands a year on collectibles anyway, then a $1,000 card that you're convinced is going to be worth more later isn't such a stretch. Now, as it turns out, they ended up selling 1400 or so, 13 to 1400 uh, of the 1500 possible copies. So some relatively small percentage, 10 to 15%, will end up being burned. In theory, I'm assuming he'll do that on video and show people it, it happening. Uh, and then the rest are being sent out. He said that 450 people bought two copies apiece, and I think 400 low 400s bought a single copy and so he also pointed out in his follow-up video that two-thirds of the inventory was in the hands of just of less than 500 people now since then we've already seen copies flip on ebay for numbers between 1500 and 2000 hard to know exactly what they went for because a lot of them were best offer so wait did they actually yeah, sell they're sold they're, so, they're sold units okay. on ebay well because the one search we looked at it didn't have any but i that might have been the one we were using. Yeah, I was spelling. using the search term I switched okay. to after. So, so it did have self. Yeah, it looks okay. like okay. a couple of dozen copies have already changed hands. One of the pro traders said that they had bought a couple copies and they had covered their backside by prearranging a sale to somebody else at like plus 150 or something like that. Um, so there were clearly immediate exits to be had. Now, how is this likely to play out beyond that? Probably in the usual way. As more and more people list more and more copies and the the gold rush begins, the price will float down and down and down and down and will probably get, I would guess, within a few hundred dollars of the entry price. I I would imagine you'll see $1,100 to $1,300 copies not too far down the road. 
Now, what will happen a year or two beyond? Rudy made a, a key point on his follow-up video that I actually agree with, and, and he and I agreeing on anything is mm. rare enough that I'll flag it. He made the point that this isn't really about him or the promo. It's going to be about how the game does, and I 100% agree with that. If, if this game yeah. has staying wow. power and it's around in five years, those promos are going to be worth a lot of money. And if the game falls off a cliff, then nobody's going to care about those promos at all. Yep. Uh, I mean, you could, you, I mean, that sounds quite likely. You could almost say it still has an outside shot, even if it's the game does fall off a cliff because if Rudy continues to be who he is and has his channel and the game is dead, it will be kind of a something of a, an amusing curiosity or collectible for fans of his. Like, oh, remember this time Rudy got this promo card that was ended up being worthless for that game that died? Uh, you know, kind <laughs> I mean, of you a, have to be way up his ass to want to own a promo for a game that died that he sold people for $1,000. Yep. But remember when that chick sold her bathwater and people bought it? Like... <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not putting it past anybody to buy stuff, right? Like, I just see that as potential. I This is not a major point, just like, even were Flesh and Blood to die, there's some angle there. But I would agree that primarily it is how well that game does. And if it really takes off and, and has a great several years, then it certainly looks better than it does today. Mostly. Mostly. The card is not going to get any more relevant, but if the game's popular, there's obviously additional eyes on on the card. Though it is worth pointing out that the rule text on the card requires that your entire deck be PSA graded. Yeah. Uh which which when we talk about like unplayable magic promos, like that is a whole other level. Un- it's like unglued level, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just like the Okay, you basically can't play with that. It'd be like a magic card that said all the cards in your deck have to be alpha. Like, okay, good luck. Like how many people on the planet can field that for? Sure. So, um, there's, so there's side topics associated here. When stimulus money was being handed out across North America, there was, and before Flesh and Blood had ever had a set that retreated in price, which started with Monarch, in May, uh, where some people got caught out paying too much for boxes ahead of time. And then that happened again this fall with Tales of Aria, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, now it looks like much more of a, you know, it's not such as an, an invincible product. It's clear that they can print more than the market will demand, at least in the short term. The It starts to, started getting me pulling out the best of the cards I've cracked out of the boxes that I've opened along the way to try to get a sense of, you know, how the market is doing. And quite honestly, the market is doing really, really fine. Like, sure, some of these prices have retreated from their highs six months ago, but they were way, way too high. Like, you can still open an unlimited box of Crucible of War um, that's less than a few months old, and or less than half a year old, I guess, and pull out, like... The last box I cracked, I pulled out a $70 Legendary that if I'd pulled it out of a first edition box, it would have been like $3,000. And there was five or six other cards in the box that were worth between 10 and 30 and that's out of a $85 box. So 
even unlimited boxes are still capable of making money. And the first edition boxes, whether you're flipping them or cracking them, you're it's hard to do to go wrong if you've play, paid anywhere near the suggested retail price as opposed to a trumped up market price. And the point the key point with this with this whole brand is that that first edition stuff they never you know it is what it is whatever they put out for the first edition wave is all there will ever be now that doesn't mean they're never going to reprint the the cards involved like some of the the equipment like cold foil equipments they will be forced to produce additional promos or alternate reprints of those cards in future iterations of the product stream because you need them to play the game so very rarely will you see a card in this game never catch a reprint if it matters similar to magic in that way it's kind of like if the power nine had been you know had 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 a home had had a format that was accessible for years on end because they kept non-foil versions of black lotus in kind of a quasi-constant print then what's the price of an original cold foil Black Lotus? Probably way more than it is otherwise today. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can always get a version of that card, but can you get the original printing of the card? Yeah, and there's an additional reason to own the cool one because you have something to do with it. And so that got me thinking that the cards I'm supposed to be keeping are probably first edition cards even if they're catching reprints as virtually the same thing with a minor little set di- set symbol difference on it in future products. And that the cards I'm supposed to be unloading are like rainbow foils and regular versions out of unlimited product that's going to continue to be in print. However, there's a bit of a foil uh, to that thinking process that was revealed um, earlier this afternoon where they said that crucible of war which just came out this time last year and got its uh, unlimited printing uh, within the last six months um, is now out of print that the last set of crucible of war unlimited that's being sent out is like to distributors is it that's it they're cutting it off now what that means is there's probably going to be a bump on all things related to Crucible of War because those cards will eventually catch a reprint, but they've never done a reprint product for this brand yet. So if they do it a year from now, two years from now, the Crucible stuff's going to have plenty of time to gain momentum. And even unlimited boxes that people got under 100 bucks could end up selling at 200 plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like we've lost the thread a little bit in talking about the Rudy promos here. Well, I figured we were pretty much uh, done with the Rudy thing. Did you have anything else to say about that? Yeah, I, I... I don't know how much I love this. I mean, even if you take Rudy out of it, just the game company sending the promos like that to somebody and just putting a tremendous amount of money directly into their prop pocket in such a visible way. Like... You know, if Magic had done that with, you know, pick random pro, like Pat Chapin or LSE, someone who was around back in the day, it would have felt very gross. Feels very rich, get richer. Like, if they had just quietly paid him, like, a consultation fee, right, then it's like, okay, like, sure, this guy, like, helped your game out. I get it. I don't know. It just puts a bad taste in my mouth. The closest... 
to do this for people because it just it feels bad for everyone who isn't him the closest thing we have uh along these lines is what they've been doing with streamer rewards packages right or preview kits where they sell send people like a big fancy wooden box for innistrad that has a bunch of like uh, doodads in it and some some sealed product to get them to drive hype on their streams and there's also there was also the um uh secret layer preview that ended up being old border foil when it was supposed to be etched where they ended mm-hmm. up being worth thousands of dollars um and there mm-hmm. was certainly some field ads over that like i i have trouble relating to some of that because i just don't give a shit like it would never bother me and it doesn't bother me that they sent this to to rudy it's not like i'm like oh shit i should have got it instead i mean he has a major channel on YouTube. He helped this brand get off the ground. Um, the owner of the brand is like famous for uh, being serious about loyalty in the sense that when only two of the major five distributors in the U.S. would agree to carry Flesh and Blood, he is still refusing to sell Flesh and Blood to the other three, even though now they want it. Hmm. Uh... That's stupid, I, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't okay. be making that choice, but but I mean, it's it it it's probably not that simple, right? Like that's the way they like to tell the story because it makes him sound like a badass. But the reality is that yeah. by not putting it through all methods of distribution, you do choke the supply, which helps drive the demand. And they fully understand that because they've seen what has happened with the dynamics around buying and selling of this game. And it also probably like this announcement that Crucible of War Unlimited is the, where the, the faucet's being turned off. I have to imagine that that is strategic. Like, I think the story, the the narrative that Unlimited will be in print forever was probably always a bad move. Because it makes Unlimited boxes as common as sand, as common as water. It's like, they're just irrelevant from the collector perspective. And only the very best of staples that are getting super heavy play can accelerate in an environment like that especially if it's in play if it's in print for five years and they haven't had that problem yet because they haven't been around for five years but if they if unlimited actually meant that the boxes were always in print that would be i think a very foolish model so they seem to be pivoting to the unlimited is the print run is whatever the market will support at the time like it's unlimited in that sense but it's not unlimited in a temporal sense in this in the uh, in the sense that they're going to keep it in print forever in, in instead there'll be some kind of you know modern horizon style or modern masters reprint schedule a, that'll be set up at some point oh oh i know that i said it was unlimited but i what i meant was unlimited in this other way that i never corrected yeah. you on that you b- believed was this because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because if it's me and i'm running that company like i and somebody had convinced me to go with boxes that were in print forever i would have changed my mind by now as well i just think that's bad marketing Um, i think if you're operating in the the industry known as collectibles keep that front in mind (laughs) that no collectible is worth anything if you can get it anytime you want like there's so many products that have been put on toy shelves like in your average toys or us that have pitched themselves as a collectible but have been in infinite print run and have never been worth anything if you look at like the collapse of the beanie baby market that was essentially what happened there them just getting so greedy that they just printed the product into infinity you could get it everywhere like the corner store carried beanie babies at at one point and they were just they were distributed so widely they were basically water or sand Mm. 
I, I mean, I do remember the, uh, like the time spiral boxes they sent out and I was like 1% bitter about that. Not because mostly cause I just wanted the old border stuff and I thought it was cool, but you know, there's, I, I understand there's marketing and all that good stuff and giving products and money to people who expose your game and so forth. But, uh, you know, there's, I would say that there's a bit of a difference between, oh, look, this person got a, a sealed box that they get for free that they're going to open on stream and probably give some of the packs away and gets me excited versus this guy got $1.5 million worth of product for free. Like That's like, mm, <laughs> that's, there's a, there's a, there's a difference there and more than I, just. I do question whether there's a back, whether in, there's a know. back alley deal going on there where some of the, that goes back to legendary studios. I find it very hard to believe they would have just dumped 1.5 million in his lap when they know that the promo is going to sell for a significant amount of money. I mean, they were involved in yeah. the discussions. It wasn't like Rudy didn't name the price point solo. They discussed how they were going to like how the whole thing would be handled. And it, it's very weird mm. to me to be in having those conversations, but they don't see any piece of that money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's quite, that's possible too, but because we don't know it, we just kind of have yeah. to assume. And you know, I watched a little bit of uh, what's his name, Pleasant Kenobi's discussion of it, and uh, there's another person whose opinions I'm not always on the same page with. Um, but he, at the same time, was making the point that oh, uh, everyone, it's going to spoil it for. What did he say? He really was making the point that people weren't going to stand for it, and it was going to ruin their player base, and um, it's going to turn people off to the game, which I also don't think is true whatsoever. Like most people who play Flesh and Blood will have no idea any of this happened and won't won't give a shit at all. And most of the people who do know won't like are are going to be fine with it. I don't know. I just I don't think it was a bad. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about all of it. it all of it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I don't like anyone who did was involved in this in any way, shape, uh, or form. Uh, about that, is that a fair you position take to that take? Position if you so choose. The the reason I'm actually was interested in discussing this both in the Discord and on on cast has very little to do with flesh and blood it's much more about if when how long till wizards tries something like this i'm actually surprised that we don't have secret layer premium yet like i thought for sure this fall we were going to get some kind of an announcement about that whole annual secret layer thing there is a holding pattern halloween themed thing going on on the secret layer page so we should have an announcement soonish about the next secret layer whether or not that's going to in, in include any kind of premium version, I have no idea. But somewhere in the next few years, I expect that to materialize. Like, there's no way Hasbro is not going to take the model they've been using over on Hasbro Pulse for the last five years and apply it more directly to Magic. The with Secret Layers being a proven business model where they've like done an end run around both distributors and vendors, and boy, can I not stress enough how much extra profit that is when they do that. Um, for them to then take the next step and say, okay, can we sell a, you're selling $40 products, easy breezy. Can you sell a $199 product? Can you sell a $299, a $399, a $999? Like, what does that need to look like? If I was, side note, Ellie of the Veil, uh, sometime contributor to this cast, was hired on by Wizards this week to their uh, casual design team. So congrats to Ellie. Um yeah, congratulations, and that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah exactly. We won't fun. be allowed to talk to her anymore. But uh, hopefully she'll be doing good things over there. Um, 
but the, the the point I'm making is that if I was in at Wizards talking pitching products, like they have that day, I think once a year or something, where they all pitch products to each other, um, which is how we've gotten things like mystery boosters and so forth. My pitch would be for a set that was aimed at vintage players but doesn't involve breaking the power nine we've talked about this before but the concept of you don't need to reprint the power nine just print more ultra powerful cards like i don't know why this hasn't occurred to them yet and why they haven't tried this it's so obvious just print a fresh set of ridiculously powerful cards that aren't and i don't mean jeweled lotus that is clearly you know was their way of doing that for commander directly i mean go ahead like give them you know you gave them eternal masters once now like nearly a decade later go ahead and give them vintage masters and print a bunch of fresh vintage cards and have a premium version of that make the boxes 399 or 499 or whatever and then make the pre the collector booster box version of that thousand bucks have like one of 10 signed versions of whatever the lotus is signed by the artist signed by rosewater do it like it'll sell and you'll be able to make some of the same arguments about it's kind of scummy, like you got to pay to play, and you know there's feel-bads because people are left out at these price points, but the reality is they're left out on these price points for a very narrow swath of the playing experience. And that's okay. Like Brands do not have any responsibility to only service the, the majority of the market. They... Well, they can absolutely go ahead and target people that have more disposable income and be well within their normal realm of operation. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think those are, I don't think printing vintage masters and the way you've outlined it is anywhere near the same thing as sending a million dollars worth of free product to somebody but, uh, but I, who's, who's got, I'm not, who's, I'm not, who is got a lot sure, of Sure, sure, but I'm not making any of that. I'm not, wasn't making that comparison in the slightest. I, I was simply saying, brought up the point, when is Wizards going to try this? Like, going to try things at this, like, people need to be clear. This thing with Rudy is not about Rudy. It's about Legendary Studios testing what, how much the market would bear. And now they have their answer. They put out $1,500,000 cards and they sold. And they weren't even playable. Yeah, I mean, part of this is probably they get to... He's clearly... The guy who runs the studio is clearly having some fun and and playing around with what they can do in terms of decisions that Wizards can't or won't make that he can. For instance, like the super rare cold foils and the first printings of products and various other aspects of it here. Um, including, for instance, um, this, you know, just give, straight up giving a promo to a guy who's outside the company who we just like. Uh, and I'm going to do it because I can and I'm going to see how it goes and we're going to be goofy and that's fine. So well, he, he's dabbling in a way that was just can't or won't. I, I don't know. I, I see it partly in that regard. Um, no, I mean, yeah. and, and so the point I'm making is Wizards also took note here like if you think nobody at wizards is talking about this this week you're crazy like they they for sure flagged that rudy sold fifteen hundred thousand dollar cards and the conversation that resulted from that was if rudy can do that of course we can do that like you think rudy has more selling power than all of wizards of the coast under the under yeah, the hasbro I, umbrella I mean, like and and, I mean, and you're, you're telling me that they don't <laughs> like keep in mind the difference right wizards gets to sit back 
look at what happened there, and then not send them all to Rudy. Wizards gets to put them up on the secret layer site and sell the new whatever fancy card they're going to they're going to come up with to justify the price point and pocket all of the money. And that's 1.5 million in their pocket. And all they got to do is get a hire an artist, which they pay a pittance to and come up with a reasonable game plan for what this card's going to be. Spend the, commit the usual marketing spend, et cetera. And away they go. Well, yeah, I mean, except that, why did they wait until they wouldn't have waited till now to have this conversation? I actually don't know what wizards would see here as any sort of information that they didn't already have. Like, did they think that they couldn't sell ultra rare thousand dollar promos? I don't think that's true. I think they probably figured they could. I don't know what they would have learned here that they didn't. Uh, But, but keep in mind, they have tested these waters a little bit before and it didn't go well. If you remember the throne of Eldraine premium set, they put out that, that was like $600 or something. And it only had basically the value was not there. It was like some collector booster packs, uh, a little art poster, um, and a couple of other doodads. And the whole thing was much ado about nothing. And it was much better idea just to buy collector booster boxes at the time than commit to that thing. My dad's got a copy of it. Um, and it didn't sell very well. And so it's entirely possible that that was their first slap at a higher price point and they backed off of it because the next time they went at that the two times they've tried to go higher since above their usual price points were the vip packs which were by and large successful at 100 bucks a pack per per pack and i suspect we're going to see something very similar for double masters 2 next summer and then the continuation of collector booster pack boxes at 200 bucks a pop uh and then the pricing on Modern Horizons 2 products all being jacked up above what any of the Masters products had been in the past. Um, I do remember that product that you're talking about. It was kind of the their biggest premium product that didn't really go anywhere. Uh, but I would say that was very different in kind than what, what happened here. They were not the same... Not the same type of product, not shooting at the same audience. Like... If 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 the flesh and blood had sent Rudy these sort of like mini sealed kits with you know twenty five cards that were all just sort of their own thing kind of, but there was no like special Rudy promo and like part of the appeal of this was that it was so dumb essentially, as opposed to trying to be anything more than that. And Wizards hasn't really tried that at all. In any case, I don't think that this was a particularly uh, revelatory exper- you know, experiment for Wizards to observe. I think that, if anything, I don't think Wizards, Wizards has the ability to get away with this um, because they don't have the type of relationship with anyone like that and it would look different for wizards of the coast to do it than it would for flesh and blood so you think so your position is wizards already believed that they could sell thousand dollar cards at this volume and that the reason they don't is brand management i'm gonna say that i think wizards of the coast could would look at this and go we can't do the same thing they did because we're not the same company with the same 
legacy relationships brand and what have you. If we're going to sell a thousand dollar card, we can't ship it off to a Twitch streamer. Okay, I, I, I think and make it. Okay, I think, I think you're missing my point. Copy. You're assuming that I'm talking about mirror images. I'm talking about wizards looking very specifically saying they're not going to send it to a Twitch streamer, that it's much better for them to sell it directly. And that the lesson they're learning is simply about price points and what and market market uh, bearing capacity. Because if Flesh and Blood, a much smaller game with a much smaller fan base, can support fifteen hundred copies of a thousand dollar object that costs cents on the dollar, like tiny like a pittance on the dollar, um, to produce, then they have their answer about whether they could launch a thousand dollar secret layer. Okay, I think that they already knew that they could. So you think it's already in the works, or you think they will refuse to do it? I I don't know. I'm not sure why why they would choose to delay. Are they trying to figure out the right way to do it? Are they waiting for, I don't know, are we close to an anniversary? Are we too many years away from that? Like, I don't know. It seems like there's a couple of reasons that that could get in the way, or a couple of reasons that it might not happen right now. Uh, Maybe it is in the chamber. Uh, I don't have an answer for you. But I do think that Wizards basically already knows they can get away with that. I don't think this told them that. I don't think they do because I think that the way that most companies like Hasbro operate is you get one chance to test something. And if it doesn't sell to the level that you're expecting, then you back off of it. And I and that if, going back to that Eldraine thing, I tracked it down. It was the Throne of Eldraine Deluxe Collection. It was 450 and it had 16 Throne of Eldraine collector boosters, one set-themed binder, a foil Garrick Planeswalker card, an art print, a 3x3 strip from a foil sheet of Throne, and then some arena codes. Yeah, this is the problem. This is junk. Like, everything in there is junk. Nobody gives a shit sure, about it. Sure, but somebody probably got in trouble There's... for that not doing well, because they put a bunch of effort into it. Probably. So, and that, Pro- and that I don't, could I don't doubt easily that. be the reason we don't have a $1,000 product right now. Very possible, and I'm not debating that one way or the other. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think that's completely correct. I'm saying that that was the wrong way to sell a thousand dollar product like that. Like it was, it it failed because it was a bad product formulation. Because if you're going to sell an ultra expensive product, it either needs to be ludicrous in terms of what it's what it is, and I'm talking like you know stupid sneakers that have anime on them and crap like that or rudy's face on a magic card or it needs to be packed with like very cool very exclusive promos in some capacity right that are just very very awesome and that product had neither uh so that was a failure of uh what's the right way this is the right way to say this it 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 wasn't the concept that failed it was the execution essentially that's my Sure, but it's this. been two years and they haven't gone back to the well, right? Well, Wizards also makes a lot of decisions that I think it's fair to say you and I would not agree with. And it's possible that they're just making the wrong decision here, right? Like, like it's possible that there are p- people within Wizards who see that, saw this and went, I understand how this could work. But the people in the decision-making places are in the, posi- the positions to make decisions aren't comfortable with that at the moment. Right. I don't know. I don't have insight into their company. I just I, I would be surprised if this was somehow that and, and, and that much of a revelation for people for most. To of be clear, I don't think it's some massive catalyst that that means like the gears start turning tomorrow. 
I just think it can, it's the kind of, if you're the party inside the company trying to make the argument for high value magic products, this is the catalyst that lets you get another meeting where you can, where you can walk your door to your boss and be like, okay, look at Rudy did consider how much smaller the market is. Consider the low value of an unplayable card. That's essentially a meme or a joke. Consider the, you know, the massive potential we have to service specific markets. Like Flesh and Blood doesn't have a vintage community, an old school community to speak of because they don't have the longevity. Um, whereas that format is tiny but exists in, in our community. And more importantly, jives very, like has very tightly interlocking Venn diagram circles um, that are old, like middle middle age, upper middle class, available disposable income, interested in vintage facing product and would be willing to spend $1,000 on something like this. And we know that like secret layers today, they usually put a longer time frame on them, but they started with very short time frames. And they've kind of walked it back to a middle position now. And there's also the thing that on Hasbro Lab, which is where all their toy exclusives go off, they have funded multiple big ticket, multi-hundred dollar uh, experiments of this nature that have done very well. Like Unicron going from 500 to 1500 or whatever. They just fired off Victory Saber for 200 bucks a pop the other day. Those will probably go for three to 500 would be my guess. Um, and eventually that DNA is going to trickle down into Watsy. Like there's just no way they can avoid it for forever. The only question, the question in my mind isn't whether they will sell, try to sell us a thousand dollar product. It's just when. Yeah. I, I mean, like did this make it easier for the person inside of wizards who's been saying we should do this? Did it make it easier for them to get a meeting? Yeah, it sure did. Uh, but again, just because it, I, I don't know, there's a lot of different layers here in terms of why that decision might not get made, but I don't think this is, I, I think I, a I, huge, a huge revelation. I certainly agree with you that there's a brand, there is a brand custodianship angle because they have always steered away from talking about vendors or speculators or even collectors to, to a great extent. I mean, they call them collector boosters, but they don't. Other than name calling them out in recent products for years and years, they largely ignored the collector community in terms of their overall brand strategy. Um, and I could very well believe that there are people inside those teams that are scared to look like they are making cash grabs. If I'm on the other side of that table, I'm making the point that, listen, we're already selling Secret Layer Direct for ridiculous profit. We're already redirecting tons of our uh, sealed product to Amazon. It's not a huge stretch for us to to go ahead and offer a $1,000 product or even just a $500 product. And I agree with you 100% that the key to be that being successful and to minimizing how much blowback there is, is making sure that the value is there because this Eldraine thing was silly and they can come up with something that's not silly that will sell very, very well. Yeah. I mean, they could just say, uh, okay, we're going to now sell the uh, Hero of the Realm cards. There's going to be a special secret layer once a year 
and you get one of the Hero of the Realm cards. It's random. We're not going to tell you which one you get. And it's you know three or four hundred dollars. And this is the only chance you will ever have to buy this card. We're actually only going to do it for twenty four hours. Uh, you know, because we want to keep these kind of special for the people who earn them, but we want to give the rest of you a chance to own them because they're so cool. There you What's go. What's a hero of a hero of the realm? Those are those um, ones that they give out to uh, wizards okay, employees. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. So you even, you already even have like these a super special, unique, like not really legal, not legal card that you could do. Like it's there. It's on the table. You don't have to work to figure it out. See, I would I would just say if I'm trying to go premium, I'm kickstarting vintage. I'm double down on that. I would just go. This is a thousand dollar a set per year. You get um, the first edition has the new power nine. And we'll make as many as you guys want to order in 24 hours. And it comes with a booster box of a bunch of other cards that are aimed at the format. So it's kind of like a vintage Masters booster box. And then you get nine very special alt art of whatever the new Power 9 is. And we're putting a $9.99 price tag on that. You don't need, like, vintage is not going to be a big, like, a big part of Magic. Don't, don't be confused. Like, we're not doing this in lieu of Commander or Modern or Standard or draft or sealed those are all going to be still going to be way bigger formats this is not a huge priority for us we're only going to do this once a year and it's to support like give the vintage community something to latch on to and why would those guys not go crazy for that shit like that's oh that, that would sell so fucking well that would work i was just saying under my scenario, you get to sell one card for four hundred dollars. Under yours, you have to sell them the whole box. But and 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 there's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, whether you're selling them a single card or you know, we were talking about there had to be value, right? And so I think the reason mine includes a box of cards is I think that that's how you justify a thousand dollar price tag is you give them undeniably excellent ground floor access to the next round of power nine that are where that first edition version of whatever the new moxes are or whatever is going to be unbelievably valuable five, 10 years down the road. And because everybody knows it's time limited, it's just whoever can afford it in the first 24 hours, you give them a month's notice to get the cash together. And you have a set that comes out alongside it. So you can sell regular boxes to other people. And then the people that can't afford the thousand dollar price tag buy the $400 box and then try to trade their way into getting the pieces of the new power nine they need and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I'm not saying that wouldn't work. My point was just that if you want to sell one or two ridiculously priced cards, this is the path. I, I, I was floating a path that you could take to do that without having to do a whole second product. I, an even simpler method that i think is is has broader appeal would just be taking things like a jeweled lotus and starting to issue them as masterpiece versions and doing them at 99 dollars a card yeah and and you just do do one one a quarter or something like every every secret layer drop has an add-on where you can get like the one premium car added on to your order for a hundred bucks if if you buy the uh, the bundle four X yeah. of every secret layer bundle, you can buy yeah. one yeah. of this yeah. invention yeah. jeweled yeah. lotus, and you only get to buy one oh boy. Uh, per bundle but, that you buy. But it buy. would be 
and it's and it's two hundred dollars. I mean that that one's surefire. <laughs> that, that, Ugh, I just I just feel dirty. There, there's this no out way loud. that doesn't work. That would work in a heartbeat if it was the same. If it was Kaladesh yeah. Invention Jeweled Lotus, hundred bucks a piece on top as long as you've bought at least one bundle. Whew. It's disgu- it's it would absolutely work and it's disgusting and it upsets me and I'm I'm ashamed for having put this <laughs> into the world. Fair enough. Where can people find you online, good sir? We didn't even get a chance to talk about our listener picks this Uh-oh. week, by the way. We'll double. But maybe we could save that yeah, for we'll next week. Yeah, we'll double back on that next week. Wait. All right. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at mdgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. That is episode 292.3 in the books. Uh, still no spoilers next week, I think, uh, but we're getting oh, close. I, yeah, it'll be, I, I think... I think we Is might get spoilers week? next week. One or, one or two, I think we're going to get mm. a trickle in. Yeah, I think it's the early, early part of spoiler season by the time it comes out next week. Okay. All right. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.